It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something with your own head. Beat it up and I've got no people. And I'm going to clatter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, but this is the gangs and the government for hiring the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones is right here. Isn't that amazing? How can I be mysterious when I'm on the airways, airwaves every week? How can I be mysterious? I couldn't be more transparent. So how could they say that I'm in the dark heart of the city? But if you're transparent, and I'm a mystery, are, you a, are you a ghost? <laughs> oh, well. I'm, I'm <laughs> you trans- said you're transparent. My <laughs> motives are transparent. That's true. They are. They are good motives to help people. That's right. Well, this is the hour of doom. And bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the doom and bloom survival medicine hour, a bastion of benevolence in a belligerent world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of DoomAndBloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand articles, posts, videos, podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Nurse Amy. My real name is Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. And together we are the beauty and the beast. We are the geezer and the goddess, the courageous couple, the spectacular spouses. (laughs) And we're here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a churlish chipmunk? Well, our attorney says, don't call me, call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the host and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. That's right. The miracle of medical technology, saving lives with research, with equipment. But what happens in a disaster when the hospital isn't open? (laughs) And there's no ambulance to get you there anyhow, right? I know, right. That's right. Somebody's (laughs) got to be the end of the line. Something's wrong. Right. That's right. And somebody's got to be the end of the line when it comes to keeping their people healthy in times of trouble. And that's someone is, guess who, 
probably going to be you. So show the world you got more sense than a bag of onions and get some training, some education. And while you're at it, how about some supplies that have quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge? And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. Yeah, get them fast. We're old. We won't last forever, folks. (laughs) (laughs) But our name will and our products will last you for years. (laughs) Absolutely. Solid medical kits. Believe me, you compare our kits for contents, quality, cost with anybody else's stuff, you'll agree our kits are the ones that you need to have in your medical storage. Our kits are approved, by the way, for your health or flexible savings accounts, too. Read our testimonial pages at store.doomandbloom.net. See what people have to say about our medical kits and service. Ha-ha, I dare you. <laughs> that's right. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us. So that's so painfully obvious. So connect with the old man and the beautiful young lady and give us a 411, son. It's easy. Here's Nurse Amy to tell you how. You have to sing the song, though, again. What? It's so easy. It's so easy. Yes, there you go. There you go. You can contact us by email at drbonespodcast at aol.com. Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, and Nurse Amy. Join, uh, join, subscribe, follow, (laughs) whatever you're supposed to do with our (laughs) Facebook page. Uh, They change it. Each one has a different thing. That's true. Our Facebook page, Doom and Bloom. You can also, I know you do this, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on at Twitter. At Prepper Show. That's that right. I know for sure. Uh, don't forget our YouTube channel at DR Bones Nurse Amy and our other podcast on current events. And boy, there are a lot of current events these days. That's right. American Survival Radio <laughs> is now broadcast from KPJC, Relevant News Talk Radio, out of Salem, Oregon. Uh, KRFE, Lubbock, Texas, KFAR, Fairbanks, Alaska, KIMB, KMET, WNEAE. Wow, Talk 365, and also the Prepper Broadcasting Network, our good friends over there, and a lot of other great networks throughout the U.S. of A. And don't forget about KYH Radio in Utah, which carries this podcast, the Survival Medicine Hour. Now, we've got a few classes that are coming up, some eight-hour classes. Yep, or doodles. And so tell us a little bit about that. Well, they include, uh, I would have to say, pretty advanced, extensive first aid training. We will be teaching on July 14th, actually, in our warehouse here in Weston, Florida. And that will be very interesting if you've ever... Wanted to see our <laughs> the production, our mess in action. <laughs> yes, and that again is July fourteenth, and the second class is in Montana. We're actually going to be in Bozeman for the first time. That's right. We've never visited there. I'm very excited about being there. That is on August fourth. And our third class I have scheduled so far is October twentieth, which will be in Kodak, Tennessee, which is near. Sort of between Knoxville and Asheville and Gatlinburg. If I had yes, to drive, al- almost of. like a yeah, right off. Uh, Not I-40, in the middle right? of it, but it's no. yeah, it's on I forty, and so it's convenient to a lot of uh, bigger areas. And uh, that one will be fun because we'll be up visiting at our house in Gatlinburg, enjoying the beautiful fall leaves. That's right, you with know, all we, the leaf, peep, leaf peepers. <laughs> that's right, and interestingly enough, we actually brought home to South Florida some acorns and kept them 
over well you did I mean, this. for months you did in this the fr- in the refrigerator, refrigerator. right you you with, took them in October right with some moss and sure enough we I stuck fi- it in the back of the refrigerator yes and you're only I supposed to do it. that for a couple months right yes. you're supposed to do it for 45 days actually okay well when did you take them out probably three months later at least at twice, least. maybe four months probably probably four but I would say March yes and you think you took them out right. about March well we uh, <laughs> none of them uh, had germinated Didn't in the anything, refrigerator right? they, they were dormant and sure <laughs> enough <Looked> dead <laughs> and so I said well guess they're not going to work uh, you know, to to make little oak trees, so uh-huh. we I yeah, just put them in a grow, grow one bag. Of my grow bags. One I'm of our, not using right, right now. One of the grow bags that wasn't being used. And I, I said, well, I mean, that'll the be funny thing is green that, manure or whatever. Yeah, exactly. As they say. But um, some weeds grew over them. Yes. So you couldn't even see them right. anymore. Couldn't see them anymore until just a very short time ago, where almost every single one of them sprouted. Sure enough, we so have we little have baby trees. little baby oak trees. Unfortunately, they're not going to be happy here. They're not going to be we happy. We've got to get them back home. We've got to get them back home, so we've got to figure out a, a way to get our little oak trees back into the right kind that of weather. That would be so cute. So isn't that something? Transplant we'll, we'll that. Transplant all our, our little oak so trees. So cute. So anyhow, that is a, a big surprise for us. I, I thought mm-hmm. that was awesome, actually. And it does work, ladies and gentlemen. So if you want... Find some acorns in the woods, and, and they look like they're intact and they're good. Just put them in the refrigerator with some moss for 45 days, what they say. And <laughs> as long as you're not in hot weather like South Florida, you're going to have some beautiful oak little saplings, so I guess, cute. very, very soon. Well, you know, we're. I wanted to talk a little bit, because we talked about it last week, mm-hmm. about the sprains and strains and and fractures and I was just as I was running out of time I was talking about the difference between a sprain and a fracture I want to go over that a little bit and and sometimes telling the difference isn't that hard I mean if you you have a bone that's zigzag in shape or pointing in the wrong direction well obviously you've got a fracture but not every fracture is going to have a leg or an arm pointing in the wrong direction. Many times it's hard for even an orthopedic surgeon to really know what's going on without doing some of these MRIs and CAT scans, other modern diagnostic tests. And certainly in a disaster survival setting, they are not going to be available to you, the medic. I wanted to talk a little bit uh, about something I mentioned just quickly. Uh, It's called the Ottawa Rules, and that's for uh, foot and ankle injuries, and that gives you a clue that you're dealing with a fracture. And this is helpful uh, in normal times to determine when it's a waste to do an x-ray. And in times when you don't have x-ray capability, it gives you a better idea when you're dealing with a fracture. And I guess most importantly, to tell a fracture is the inability to put weight on the injury. And the Ottawa rules say that if you're unable to walk three or four steps on your own without severe pain, well, then you are dealing with a fracture, most likely. Now, if there's any pain in the what they call malleolar zone, that's the bone that sticks out that you normally would consider the ankle bone, sort of sticks out on either side, just above your foot. Well, if that bone itself or the area directly above it on either the inside or the outside has significant pain, it's more likely to be a fracture. Now, it's different than if you had pain underneath the ankle bone. And if you have pain underneath the ankle bone, well, you got a bunch of different uh, 
uh, ligaments there, fibrous bands of tissue that go from bone to bone. And if those are damaged, that's more like that's more likely to be a sprain if the pain is over there. Now, if you have bone tenderness along the bottom uh, inch, a couple inches or so of the bones of the lower leg, you have a bigger lower bone that's called the tibia in front, and you have a smaller bone in the back called the fibula. Well, sometimes you can elicit pain in those areas by pressing the front or back of the lower leg below the even below the knee, even as high up as below the knee. You could actually tell when you have a uh, injury to the bottom of the lower lower leg bones, either the tibia or the fibula. Mm-hmm. Now, if you feel pain right down at the bottom, that's almost likely almost certainly likely to be a fracture there because that's right on the bone. Some people will feel a grating sensation as they're pressing and moving. Maybe if there's two broken ends of bones there, they may grate against each other. You may have a sensation that that sort of feels that way. I'm actually glad that I've never had a fracture, so I can't (laughs) relate to the feeling or describe it in a different way because I, I haven't Knock on some wood. Where's some wood here? I don't know if you see wood. All right. Well, not <laughs> we. Um, neither of us have broken anything. Maybe no, a, maybe not... a finger. We're, yes. Both of us are questioning whether, in our history, we've actually broken yeah. a little finger joint here and there. Well, I have a little osteoarthritis on the last knuckle of my middle finger on my left hand, and I'm pretty sure it's probably because I broke it. And at I one can't point or bend a couple of fingers real well. In certain joints, yeah. But so you know, it's it's, it's hard possible. to tell. But anyway, I've never felt that grating sensation. I have to say, thank you. <laughs> One of those things that, that sort of makes drink, you. I want to go drink. You might wince a little bit if you know if you actually sound. do feel like you know, like uh, nails on a chalkboard. The image or the perception, the the imagination of, of feeling that is yikes. Now, what makes everyone go drink a glass of milk right now right. and get some sun. You need vitamin D and calcium. Now, for feet, if you have pain in the midfoot on where the instep is, not not the heel, not the toes, but on the instep, especially instep, uh, especially on the inside of the foot, there's a specific, particular bone there called the navicular bone. And whenever you have pain in that bone, and we're, I'm going to be doing a, a video on this in the near future, uh, then that is also indicative right, wait, are you of a throw fracture. Your, are you going to throw your foot up on the desk? I'm going to throw the foot. Demonstrate. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to use a sharpie, and I'm going to show you exactly where that is. So yeah, that's the, make sure you. I need to get you keep a fake, on, fake foot. Yeah, subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'll find all sorts of interesting stuff there. Uh, also, the base of the long bone that goes to the little toe, the, the little toe on the outside of the foot. This is the, the navicular bone is on the inside of the instep. Uh, but the base of the long bone that goes to the little toe, that's called a metatarsal, a metatarsal, that is another sign of a likely fracture. So right on the outside, uh, right at the base uh, of the, not the little toe itself, but the bone that leads to the little toe, that's beyond the heel but leads to the little toe, that is another sign of a likely fracture. So, and by the way, it's better for me to show you this, so make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. That that will be one of our future videos. Uh, also, uh, look for some more signs. A more pronounced swelling and bruising probably would 
sort of point you in the direction of a fracture, you can have some pretty significant swelling and bruising with a sprain, certainly, but a fracture will do that as well. A fracture may have a deep cut in the area of the injury, and this is called an open fracture, and it's particularly dangerous due to the risk of infection. Uh, remember, you have bacteria on your skin. It's supposed to be there. It's perfectly harmless, except, of course, when the skin, your armor, is breached. And what happens is these, this bacteria, it's supposed to be there in your, on your skin. It's not supposed to be in your bone marrow. It's not yes. supposed to be in your blood vessels. And if it contaminates those things, well, then you get certain kinds of infections. Osteomyelitis is one. Septicemia is another. Both of these can be life-threatening. Now, another way that you could tell a uh, sprain from a fracture, a fracture uh, would, uh, is when you use a tuning fork and a stethoscope. A tuning fork, like uh, medical students have, uh, is 128 hertz, I think. And if you bang the tuning fork, get it starting to make its little vibration noise, and place it on the bone below the level, uh, closer to the foot, in other words, um, the level of the fracture or closer to the hand, if it's an arm issue. Well, that what will result in decreased sound if you put the stethoscope above the level of the fracture, that is closer to the torso. So if you've got the stethoscope on one side of the fracture, you have the tuning fork on the other side of what you think might be a fracture. If you hear a lot of the vibration noise with the stethoscope, that is probably an intact bone. If you don't, then it's probably a bone that is not intact. In other words, a bone that is fractured. So that's something else as well. And of course, a fracture um, is something that you would ex suspect if you suddenly have more knuckles on your hand, for example, oh, than you think Again. you should, or you oh, have five or six knuckles on your gosh, hand. Honey. Oh. Well, on your on your index finger, you probably broke <clears throat> your index finger. Yes, for sure. <laughs> of course, for sprains, ibuprofen is an excellent anti-inflammatory and pain reliever. Natural medicines may also help, though. Things like underbark of willow—that's essentially aspirin. Uh, aspen trees, poplar trees—all of these contain something called salicin from which the first aspirins were made in the 1880s. Uh, most sprains uh, commonly heal well over time if you use the uh, rice method, uh, rest, uh, ice, compression, elevation that I mentioned last show, uh, some pain relievers, and of course a lot of rest. Now there are some types of sprains that are so significant that, for example, in your knee, if you, you may have torn or ruptured ligaments there, some, some of them heal only with the aid of surgical intervention. Otherwise, you wind up having a frozen uh, joint there. Right. Now, it's important to get joint issues dealt with while we still have modern medicine. I talk about all these situations where, well, the ambulance is not on the way and stuff like that. But while we have all of this, that's right. get whatever ails you fixed. If you have bad teeth, you know, you have a toothache, you can just imagine how that's going to affect your work efficiency if you in a survival situation. You have you cataracts. Yeah. My dad's having cataract surgery. That's right. If you both have eyes. Bad vision. I, I have bad vision. Uh, I was uh, short, uh, nearsighted when I was young, and so I got one of the first LASIK surgeries yep. many, many years ago. It worked great for you. And it worked great for me. I had it, too. It works right. great. The only problem is, is when you get to be my age, you start losing the near vision. Right. Well, yeah, that's, so, but, you know, doesn't that's change normal. aging aging signs. Can't stop the, the aging eyes. process. Darn it. <laughs> I know. That really stinks. 
<laughs> well, so so there's that. If you have a bum knee, they just imagine how that would affect your chances for survival. A lot of the, a lot of these things can be fixed by minor procedures. Things that you go home the same day. So this is something that is very important. Think about that. You want to have your joints certainly, and the rest of you in the best shape possible to face challenges that you might have to deal with in times of trouble. Uh, for strains, of course, everybody's heard that uh, uh, strains involve an injury to muscle and their tendons, usually the biggest muscles like your back. Most strain, back strains are back muscle kind of things. As the lower part of the back holds the majority of the body's weight, that's where the most trouble is going to occur. I mean, let's, let's face it. Of course, an ounce of prevention is worth, guess what, a pound of cure, and you can simply prevent a lot of these strains with some precautions. Every morning, you should perform some stretching exercises to increase blood flow to cold, stiff muscles and joints, especially if you know you're going to have a, a heavy day of work ahead, chopping wood and stuff like that. When you lift a heavy object, such as a backpack, let's say, you keep your back straight, let your legs perform the hard lifting there. The object, whatever you're lifting, should always be close to your body as you lift it. Don't reach for something, especially anything heavy. For packs, keep the weight on the hips instead of the shoulders. A lot of these will have uh, hip support straps on them, so make sure you use those. If you're on rocky or unstable terrain, always use a walking stick for balance. Remember, any weightlifting action you perform while off balance is likely to result in a strained muscle, right? Now, cold packs, they'll decrease swelling in the first 24 hours or so. After that, however, heat packs actually might be more effective in providing pain relief. Everybody's a little different. You may find cold packs are better, but heat packs are certainly useful after 24 hours. First 24 hours, stick with cold packs. Ibuprofen, again, excellent anti-inflammatory for strains, for muscle injuries. There are prescription muscle relaxants like Valium and Flexeril. These are very popular and help decrease muscle spasms and give a lot of relief. Of course, these may not be available, so you might have to use other things, things like massage or other relaxation techniques to help those uh, sore muscles. A number of alternative remedies exist for the treatment of, the, of these sprains and strains. Essential oils are considered, considered helpful to clear up bruising. Uh, you would apply maybe two or three drops of oil of helichrysum, uh, cypress, clove, geranium, um, and I would mix it half and half with maybe a carrier oil such as coconut or olive and do that several times a day on the area uh, that you have issues with. It also helps with bruising a lot of these to decrease swelling. The helichrysum oil will help as well. Use that undiluted to the effective area if you have significant swelling. Uh, willow underbark, uh, the salicin that I mentioned earlier, ginger teas, these may have anti-inflammatory properties, so you might make a tea out of this stuff, uh, put some maybe raw honey in there and drink that several times a day. Other herbal pain relievers include things like arnica. Uh, they're very, uh, that's very good. Some people feel oil of wintergreen works, peppermint, clove oil works uh, for a lot of people, and you'll see a lot of blends of the above used in bombs and salves. Uh, herbal teas that work or things that will relax you, things like valerian root, um, ginger, passionflower, feverfew, turmeric, these things are helpful as well. Drink all these warm with raw honey several times a day.
Of course, your joints and uh, your back muscles, these are not the only places that you can have pain. And one of the other places that will definitely be something you see in survival settings is going to be headaches. Now, medical issues that confront a medic could be life-threatening, like a heavy bleeding, heavily bleeding wound, or they could be seemingly benign, like a headache. But a headache is, even though it doesn't appear to be of much consequence, well, and, and especially especially if you're being chased by a grizzly bear, of course, it still can, headaches, represent a sign of a major event such as a stroke. So you need to know when to deal with headaches with major intervention and when to watch. Now, the funny thing about pain in your head, headache pain, is that brain matter, your brain matter itself doesn't have any actual pain receptors. I mean, there are several structures around the brain, however, that do the muscles around the brain of the scalp and things like that, blood vessels, sinuses, and nerves associated with these structures when they're activated send pain signals to the brain. Headaches are common components of all sorts of different medical issues, flu syndromes, infections in nearby structures like the ear canal. All these are very commonly associated with headaches as well as the pain that they have in the particular spot. They're also, I, you know what, there are just so many causes for headaches. You can, more, they're more than you can reasonably, reasonably talk about. They include things like hunger, dehydration, stress, all these things very common in survival, by the way. Uh, sinus infections, sleep deprivation, uh, people that grind their teeth may have them, hormonal changes, uh, caffeine, alcohol. Uh, they're either their overuse or withdrawal from their use, exposure to environmental toxins, and adverse reactions to certain medicines. There are a lot of medicines that can give you headaches. More serious concerns that actually could be life-threatening are things like an imminent stroke, a brain tumor, nervous system infections like meningitis, glaucoma, uh, where the, you, the pressure in your eye is elevated, much, so much more. I can't even mention all of them. Now, evaluating a headache involves determining what the symptoms are. In other words, the risk factors, in other words, if there's somebody that has high blood pressure, then that might be a risk factor for them to get headaches more often than the average person. You need to find out what makes a headache better for a particular person, what makes it worse. And of course, you have to do a physical exam. That part of the exam, that the part of the exam that checks out the nervous system is called the neurological exam. And this exam checks out reflexes, strength, sensation, movement, balance, coordination, vision and hearing on both sides. And it's always done with a view as to whether there is a discrepancy, a difference on one side of a person versus the other. We are sort of built symmetrically, bilaterally symmetrical. Uh, And that means that for the most part, if you cut us straight longitudinally in half, pretty much will look um, each half will look about the same. So what you need to do is you need to see whether the person's grip, for example, is strong on both sides, equally strong on both sides, whether the person can feel things equally on both sides, whether they can move uh, and are coordinated, generally speaking, uh, the same on both sides, whether they're balanced, and can they walk, uh, can they follow commands and things like that. These are things that are very, very important to check out. By the way, go to my 
headache article, my headache article part one. I just put it up a day or two ago, and I have an excellent video on there on how to do a neurological exam in less than five minutes. And this examination is performed not by myself, but by an actual neurologist, a specialist in the field. It's all in plain English. It shows you exactly what to do to evaluate a person from a neurological standpoint. So all you medics out there absolutely need to know how to do this type of exam. So I want you to check out this very, very informative video. It is on my article, Headaches Part 1. It's part of a series of different types of headaches. By the way, speaking of types of headaches, let's talk about one right now. Once you've determined that a, a neurological exam is normal, let's say you've, you've examined the person, followed all the steps, and you find that it's normal, you have to determine what type of headache you're dealing with, right? And there are various types. There's tension headaches, there's migraine headaches, there's sinus headaches, there's headaches related to the medical conditions, some of the ones I mentioned. So I guess by far the most frequently seen type of headache is the tension headache. Now, although the cause of tension headaches is not has not actually been established for sure, it probably is caused by spasms of the muscles of the neck and head, uh, anxiety, and maybe bad posture. Any, any of a number of other issues have, have been implicated as the initiating factor. Stress, I think, to me, is the initiating factor in many, many cases. And that, of course, in survival, you're certainly going to see plenty of that. Uh, tension headache is usually seen on both sides. You feel it on both sides of the head uh, and or the back of the head and neck. And people that have it, they report that it's sort of a dull ache. And maybe they'll tell you that they have a sensation of a, of a tight band of pressure starting around the forehead and working its way back. And in in this particular type of headache, the neck and shoulder muscles may also be involved. Tension headaches could last a half hour. They could last a week, depending on the situation. And treating a tension headache involves relaxation techniques, of course, and medicines like ibuprofen, like Advil. Some feel relief simply by taking Tylenol. So it could be Tylenol, could be, could be Advil. But I would want to say this, that excessive use of medications may lead to something called rebound headaches, which is when the headache pain returns when you're off the drug. If you are just too used, used to taking, let's say, Advil when you have a headache, then when you are off the Advil, then that headache may rebound back and you may get it coming back as bad or even worse than it was before. Now, there are a number of prescription medications that you can take that are even stronger, things like naproxen sodium. I think that's uh, Aleve. Um, and it, well, that's a number of different medicines, uh, brand names. And these are also used in severe cases. If there's muscle spasm suspected, you might need something like Flexeril to, to get that tight band of pressure to relax. That, uh, that's a muscle relaxant. Uh, but you're in, you may not have that kind of uh, ability to get any significant, significant amount of muscle relaxants in terms of pharmaceuticals. So you may have to work with low-tech relaxation techniques. And this includes things like massage, massage the scalp, massage the shoulders and the back of the neck, uh, uh, regular exercise that gets people's minds off of their headache, yoga, 
is very good. Meditation's good. Just deep breathing exercises that may help some people, especially people who are anxious and under stress. And uh, some people really swear by cold packs. Putting cold packs to the affected area that might be helpful. Um, there's something called biofeedback training, and that's another way to reduce stress that can cause a tension headache. And this method actually uses devices that monitor your heart rate, your blood pressure, and muscle tension. Obviously, this is something that has to be done in normal times. Uh, and biofeedback training attempts to give you an idea of what is happening to your body when you have the headache, and it might help you be able to control some of these things. Uh, there's also counseling, of course. Uh, that's called cognitive therapy. It may help uh, by allowing you to voice your stress and find ways to deal with it. As the medic, you're going to be the chaplain, essentially, unless there is a chaplain in your group. And you need to listen to people, and they're going to have all sorts of anxieties if something really bad does ever happen. And you need to allow them to voice what their concerns are, maybe even have them write them down and just find ways to deal with it. Sometimes devoting a certain amount of time during the day, but only that amount of time to work, to, to this kind of stress will sometimes help. That's uh, a psychological technique that some people use, uh, some professionals use. Now, there are other alternative therapies they, that may also pay a, a good part in helping out with tension headaches. Some really believe that uh, the effectiveness of acupuncture as a therapy is, you know, it definitely legitimate. If it works for you, I think that is great. Other people use herbal teas, uh, and I, I think any herb that has a sedative or antispasmodic property may help relieve the pain of tension headaches. So teas that are made from valerian root, skullcap, lemon balm, passion flower, these are some good choices. Uh, er, there are herbal muscle relaxants as well. Rosemary, chamomile, mint teas are popular options. I think teas are really good for the budding herbalist because they are easy to put together. They can be grown. Uh, many of these herbs can be grown in your own garden. Then you pick, pick the leaves and make the tea, or sometimes you pick them regularly, allow them to dry out. And then, and then you can make tea. So these are some popular options. And I really think that having herbal teas is a, a very important. You've got to have all, use all the tools in the medical woodshed. Now, for external use, some alternative healers recommend lavender or rosemary oil. Uh, they suggest that you just massage each, each temple with one or two drops as you need. And so that's something I'll bet you guys out there have your own home remedy for tension headaches, too. And if so, I'd like to know what works for you. So please send me an email at drbonespodcast at AOL.com. I'd love to know what you guys use at home. Now, there's also other types of headaches or sinus headaches. Your sinuses are a group of air-filled spaces that are in your skull that surround the nose. And sinus headaches can be caused by either an infection in this area or can be related to allergies, actually, can give you uh, sinus headaches. I think that's a, actually probably a pretty common reason for a lot of seasonal headaches is you start having allergies to a certain kind of pollen that has decided to bloom and spread right. throughout the air. Sure, the, the atmosphere is filled with it. Every time we leave the house, one of us seems to get or go for our walk 
daily walk. One of us seems to get a little sneezing attack. <laughs> right, or a little sniffly, <laughs> stuffy thing. Oh, so there's something out there. Some, always something blooming. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Well, besides headache pain, of course, additional signs of sinus headaches uh, might be a thick mucus conge- congestion. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it might be green or even yellow in color. Uh, low-grade fevers uh, occur sometimes. Cough may be something that you notice. Uh, pain may also be localized over a particular sinus. You have several different types of sinuses, uh, or and they are, let's say, in back uh, around your forehead maybe, or they're on your around your cheek or the different areas, and and the pain may be localized over a particular sinus. So if you got one on the cheek, pain over the cheek, pain over the forehead, it might sort of point towards a sinus headache, especially if you have some of these other symptoms. That, uh, by the way, some people claim that their headaches worsen from sinus headaches when they lie down or when they're bending over. And oftentimes the discomfort is one-sided. And that may help you dif- help differentiate that from other types of headaches. Also, I think a, a good check is pushing on your forehead above your eyes. Yes. Or uh, right yeah, that's your frontal your sinus, eyes. Right. Uh, on the sides of your nose. Right. You have ethmoid and sphenoid sinuses, all sorts of different right. and then medical speak sinuses your, there. <laughs> then you take your fingers and you move from the sides of your nose and you sort of circle up underneath the eyeballs pressure and then on your temples. So there's different places you can check. And then, again, like I said, on your forehead going in the middle between your eyebrows and then taking your fingers and moving out above your um, eyebrows. Yes, that's a, a good so what, place to check. If you if that hurts when you push on it, a lot of times it is sinus related. Right, and that's exactly what Amy's doing. Is Amy's sort of pointing out to you where your sinuses are, and so <laughs> we where just love they love to do videos on the hurt, radio, yeah, don't we? <laughs> I know. <laughs> yes, you're right. So, what else? Uh, oh, antibiotics. If you have a sinus infection, well, antibiotics may be helpful to treat that and uh, and may get rid of your headache. Simply put, I think, amoxicillin, probably fish, fish mox is the uh, veterinary equivalent. If you take 500 milligrams of that about three times a day for a week, might be a reasonable first choice. Now, of course, you might be allergic to penicillin, penicillin family drugs. You might consider trimethoprin sulfamethoxazole. That's also known as bird or fish sulfa, mm-hmm. and that's a, a member of the sulfa drug family. You take 160 milligrams and 800 milligrams. of the, This is a combination drug, trimethoprin, 160, and sulfamethoxazole, 800 milligrams, and you would take that twice daily. They are in the same capsule, so don't worry. That's just taking one capsule, and that may be helpful. Now, some people feel that nasal decongestants like Sudafed might give some relief, so... Uh, you might consider that. Remember, if you go to a pharmacy and you ask for Sudafed, they keep an eye, keep a close eye on you because they use Sudafed to make meth, apparently. Ugh, it's true. Right. You're only allowed, I think, to buy one or two boxes at a time. And they're writing your name down, scanning your driver's license, and then you have to put your signature, which, of course, you're also on camera. So they're really trying to limit... Uh, the amount of meth that people can make, but somehow they are still making it. I have no idea what they're doing. Maybe getting over the seas Sudafed or something. So if all, all you me- all you meth heads out there, just oh send gosh. us your favorite recipe. Oh my gosh! <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's so we're gonna crazy. say do not send us your favorite recipe. No, we're joking. For meth. 
<laughs> so, you're so funny. <laughs> oh, another thing that might be helpful for sinus infections oh is uh, to use a neti pot. Yes. With sterile. 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 What kind of water, honey? Sterile. Ask me what kind of water. Saline? No, what what kind of water? Sterile. Yes, sterile, right. Has regular, to be sterile. Uh, regular water or saline. Is right. Okay, as long as it's sterile. Right. That's the thing. <laughs> because just using regular tap water has all sorts of critters in it. And indeed, if you put that through your um, sinuses, it yes. can actually. There are actually a couple Cause of women that died right. last year because of infections that they got from so their neti pot. Unnecessary. Right. It's a, it's an extra step, and some people get lazy, but it's super important. Oh, and you know, so what's you have a, to follow the correct and, steps. And what's a neti pot? A neti pot looks like an Aladdin's lamp. Yes, <laughs> it does. That's a good, good analogy. See? Yes. And uh, you put the sterile saline or water in it, and you put the teapot spout into your nose, Mm -hmm. and you sort of tilt your head back into the side over a sink. (laughs) Preferably, yes. (laughs) Because that sterile water or saline is going to flush through the other side of your nostril and flow out. (laughs) <laughs> to the sink, <laughs> I hope, or a bucket, or I guess outside if you want to be part of nature and do this. <laughs> but it actually it does work to help clear out sinuses. Yeah. Yeah, so people do, do swear by it. Um, another cause of headaches, very common cause, migraines. The mi- migraine headache is a killer, boy. I'll tell you, you can't even look at a light without having pain from a migraine. The, the exact cause of what cause, what actually makes a migraine occur is pretty uncertain, but it's thought by some to be related to spasms in blood vessels in your brain or, or in your um, in and around, let's put it this way, right. your brain, probably around your brain. Uh, <laughs> migraines may be genetic in nature. They seem to run in families, and they are more commonly seen in women than men for one reason or another. Oh, we're just all messed up. We have, oh. we have a bigger list of things that affect us than you. I don't know. Do. We're got... yeah. That's why do you live? Ugh. Why do you live so much longer then? Well, yeah, we might live longer, but maybe we live more miserably though. No, hey, you ever think about that? Oh my gosh. Well, it could be true. I don't know. I'll let you know. All right. <laughs> well, well, the pattern that you of symptoms that you see in this type of headache, it are some some of them are pretty significant. Mm-hmm. Pain behind the eye, usually one sided, so it's usually a one sided uh, pain. It's usually behind the eye, and you have this extraordinary sensitivity to light, sometimes to noise, odors, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes really get to you. Uh, you may feel nauseous. You may have, you may even vomit. Uh, you. You may have stomach discomfort relating to it. You certainly lose appetite. And you may, in the severe cases, have actual vision changes. Your vision may blur. You may have, uh, some people have light and color phenomena that seem to occur. Mm-hmm. Pretty crazy stuff here. And, and for that reason, they recommend bed rest in the dark. And as well, as, of course, as things like ibuprofen and um, acetaminophen, uh, no, Advil or Tylenol, some migraine medications, by the way, use caffeine or are thought to be effective. So tea and coffee actually might be good alternatives in an austere setting. So if you have coffee, you can grow coffee where you're at, have tea. 
And then these are things that you can use because they have caffeine in them. There mm-hmm. uh, used to be a medicine they used for migraine headaches years ago called Caffergot, and that was essentially oh, wow. just a lot of caffeine. That was so, a long time ago. That's right. Now, there is also uh, another medicine that's very popular for migraines. If you have them regularly, you should always ask your physician for a prescription for Imitrex, I-M-I-T-R-E-X, also known as Sumatriptan, and that is a strong anti-migraine medication. If you can stockpile some of those, that would be awesome. Now, there are other headache causes. Uh in women, hormonal changes may be responsible for headaches. Things See, like, I like told you. pregnancy, we have a higher, there, menopause, there you go. menstruation. Birth control pills can cause headaches as side effects. Lucky these, us. These have all been implicated <laughs> as risk factors. Now, cranberry juice, other natural diuretics might be helpful to eliminate some of the excess fluid from the body during certain times of the month. I have a better idea. And pamperin. Pamperin, yes. Pamperin. Might be helpful a to limit. underutilized medicine for bloating, cramping, and those pressure headaches. And swelling. Before you And swelling before you get your period. Pamperin. Right, so. I swear by it. I wish I'd have known it. And I knew about it, but I never had tried it. So it's basically a pain medicine that has. years ago. It's pain medicine that has. With a slight diuretic. Now, I only take one. I think they recommend you take two. Just take a little bit, but. It helps my headaches very much. Absolutely. So these, and this is a stockpileable medicine, so it may not be a bad idea to get get a few bottles of that. Uh, Headache can be caused by dehydration, and that, of course, is going to be something rampant in long-term survival situations. Just look at naked and afraid, and you'll (laughs) you'll see. Uh, um, Headache caused by dehydration is usually both-sided. Uh, and it is made worse by standing up rapidly from a lying down position. And the, if somebody has that kind of an issue, and if you have, for example, a uh, blood pressure cuff and you take their blood pressure, ordinarily when you lay down, your blood pressure is lower than when you're standing up. Well, if you're dehydrated, the opposite is true, and that's referred to as orthostatic hypotension, and that's something that is a sign that you got somebody pretty severely dehydrated and needs to get some fluids in them. Uh, Less common causes of headaches would include an infection of the central nervous system called meningitis. So if your spinal cord and the fluid uh, that uh, lubricates the spinal cord is infected, well, that's meningitis. And that uh, gives you a terrible headache, but also gives you a stiff neck, a fever, probably a rash. And this is a condition that can be caused by viruses, can be caused by bacteria, all sorts of stuff. Honestly, without modern medical facilities and labs, uh, you probably would have to treat this condition with antibiotics and or antivirals on what we call an empiric basis. When you use empiric therapy, it means that you have an idea of what's going on, but you're not absolutely sure, and you're not absolutely sure which is the exact appropriate medicine for it but you use something that is known to have worked for that problem in the past. Previously, right. Right. So that's called empiric therapy, and the medic is going to be doing a lot of that in a true survival setting. That's for sure. Of course, uncontrolled high blood pressure or burst blood vessel in the brain, wow, may cause a stroke, and that is a super sudden onset of a severe headache. You're going to notice that uh, in these cases, your patient has lost strength in the arm, 
and leg on one side, also maybe decreased motion on one side of the face. Uh, uh, they may not be able to talk. They may have difficulty understanding you. Sometimes they may lose vision, and, and that is off mostly one-sided. Uh, it is really a terrible thing. There's a fast. Some people use B-fast. B stands for balance. Does your patient that might have a stroke have balance? Are they able to walk without an issue? If they can, it's unlikely that they've had an actual stroke. Then FAST is, stands for face, is one side of the face sagging. A is arms. Raise both of the victim's arms and see if one droops. They don't have strength in one arm compared to the other. S stands for speech. Have the victim say a common phrase. Does it sound strange or slurred? Say things like, uh, say, Amy, say yes. no ifs, ands, or buts. No ifs, ands, or buts. See, she had, does not have a stroke. How about that? Well, hallelujah. And time. <laughs> T is for time. T in fast stands for time. You have to get these people, if you notice any of these symptoms, to help as soon as you possibly can. Of course, that may be a big problem if you're off the grid. So be fast. Balance, face, arms, speech, time. And so that's something that's very important to treat a stroke. Well, in most situations, blood thinners like aspirin may be of use. There's two types of stroke, one that's caused by a blood clot, one that's caused by a bleed in the brain. So something like 80-something percent are caused by blood clots. So a blood thinner like aspirin or salicin from green underbark of willow uh, would be an, an option. And that's something that's important. The problem, the, the dilemma you have is that if the person doesn't have an a ischemic stroke or a blood clot-related stroke, but has a hemorrhage-related stroke, uh, a, a bleeding aneurysm or something like that, a, a something in a blood vessel that is an anomaly that pops open and just bleeds into the brain, well, giving them blood thinners is actually not a good thing. So it is really tough without having all of the bells and whistles that we have with modern medicine. But the truth of the matter is, is that people do recover from strokes. The National Stroke Association reports that 10% of people with strokes experience almost complete recovery. Another 25% have some minor impairment. So, you know, that's a good percentage of people that will do okay. I mean, reports suggest that the most recovery occurs soon after a stroke, and you sort of get an idea of what you have, you'll have to deal with by, by a few days afterwards. But improvements may still occur over a longer period of time, especially with things like physical therapy and other options like that. I mentioned a few natural headache relief options in terms of herbs and things like that. But if you'd like another strategy, here's one. If you want to deal with a headache without drugs, you can try the following. Uh, place an ice pack where the headache is, number one. Have somebody massage the back of the patient's neck. And using two fingers, apply rotating pressure wherever the headache is. If it's on the side of the head, put it along the temple. Uh, if it's in the forehead, put it along the, the pressure, apply pressure along the uh, forehead area. And always make sure that you give people as little stimulus as possible. Have them lie down in a dark, quiet place, cool place if possible. Uh, allow them to get some sleep if they can. Now, of course, 
keep an eye on their blood pressure. If you're the medic, I want you to have a blood pressure cuff and a stethoscope. That's important. If the blood pressure is elevated, lay that person on their left side. Usually the pressure is lowest in this position. And track what you were doing or perhaps maybe what the person ate before the headache started and, and maybe avoid the activity or food that caused the problem to begin with. So these are some of the things that you can use. I wanted also to mention one other herb, feverfew. Feverfew is an herb that stops uh, blood vessels from constricting and it's anti-inflammatory in nature. And you can use that on a daily basis, one to two leaves for those uh, with chronic problems. Uh, now, the problem is that feverfew shouldn't be taken during pregnancy or nursing. Uh, some people say that Jinko biloba also has a similar action. So these are some options that you have. They may work for you. They may not. If you have other options, please be sure to connect with me at drbonespodcast at aol.com. That's all the time we have for this week's version of the Survival Medicine Hour with that old Dr. Bones and that lovely nurse Amy. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Are you worried about how dangerous the world has become? In these days of terrorist attacks, natural disasters, or even a future collapse, you need to be medically prepared to keep your family safe. I'm Amy Alton, ARNP of store.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find an entire line of uniquely designed medical kits and supplies for when help is not on the way. For everything from individual first aid kits to the ultimate family bag, go to store.doomandbloom.net today. You'll be glad you did. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.